Before we begin, if you like what you hear on Mile High Report Radio Podcast, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and go ahead and click subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to Mile High Report Radio with your hosts, Adam Malnati and Ian St. Clair. Get involved with the Denver Broncos conversation at milehighreport.com. And now it's time to get to work. So Adam had a very interesting correlation for why the Kansas City Chiefs won the Super Bowl. And the correlation is to John Elway and the Denver Broncos and a decision that he made four years ago. And we're going to beat a dead horse because it's that time of the offseason already. So, Adam, what is the correlation and who is really to blame So for the Kansas City Chiefs winning their first Super Bowl in 50 years? Oh, man, that just was awful. I want everybody to think back. Just think back to t- the 2016 draft. The Broncos were riding high on a, a Super Bowl win and, uh, we're looking for a quarterback to replace the retiring Peyton Manning. And the thought was Brock Osweiler, but he decided not to talk to John Elway, which I think most Bronco fans would say is fine. We were okay with that, having uh, the, the, you know, the hindsight is 2020 deal. Uh, but then, if you, if you remember, John Elway moved up in that draft. He leapfrogged a few teams to draft Paxton Lynch. At number now, 26. And that's it. that is at the 26th pick in that draft, making him a first-round pick. Now, there were a couple of teams that were reported to be in on Paxton Lynch that, uh, at the time, many of us were very happy that he was able to sort of steal their thunder. One of those was the Dallas Cowboys and old Jera. Jera Jones, he really wanted uh, Paxton Lynch. And the other team that was in on Paxton Lynch and probably would have had a pretty good shot at him had John Elway not made this move, was the Kansas City Chiefs. Now, imagine that. In 2016, the Denver Broncos take Paxton Lynch, and in 2017, the Kansas City Chiefs are able to trade up to get Patty Mahomes. To the 14th pick to get Patty Mahomes. Now, I I know hindsight is 20-20, and I'm fully aware that it really isn't John Elway's fault. Like I will say that. But this is John Elway's fault. Because if John Elway hadn't been good at his job right there and done what, let's face it, most pundits, most people thought he should do, then we wouldn't be in this predicament of having to talk about the Kansas City Chiefs being Super Bowl champions right now. Because they wouldn't have Patrick Mahomes. It would have been a completely different NFL if that had happened in a slightly different way. And so, uh, you know, people like to do the revisits and let's go back and look at this draft and that draft. I don't really want to go that far. But just just think about it for a moment, Broncos country. The reason that Patrick Mahomes is the Kansas City Chiefs quarterback is because they didn't get to draft Paxton Lynch. Therefore, this is on John Elway. And to tie it all together, John Elway told Mike Kliss with Nine News that he hated the Chiefs trading up to get Patrick Mahomes because he really liked Patrick Mahomes. And the reason he didn't move up or do anything in 2017 in the first round to get a quarterback was because he had Paxton Lynch. 
it's just awful the way that all played out just to just to put it out on on the airwaves just to throw it into the ether there and you really start to realize how bad things were and and, and let's face it either way in 2016 if if Brock Osweiler returns the phone calls uh Brock Osweiler is the quarterback I doubt that they're drafting Patrick Mahomes in Denver uh in 2017 maybe they are I don't know but Certainly the Chiefs wouldn't have been able to get Patrick Mahomes because they probably would have been in on Paxton Lynch and and that would have that would have changed things as well. So even if Brock Osweiler is the quarterback of the Denver Broncos for another season, it, it doesn't matter. Uh, at least Patrick Mahomes isn't the quarterback in Kansas City the following year. And I, that's not where we are. We don't we don't live in that alternate universe. We live in this alternate universe that's filled with puke and sadness. I'm actually gonna take this a different way, and it just came to my mind and I'm going to plop it out there and expect it to perform. Oh, we haven't done that in a while. I'm going to blame John Fox because he was the head coach of the Chicago bears who traded up to get Mitch Trubisky. He traded up to get Mitch Trubisky traded, traded up. Now let's let, let me just make sure everybody understands. You traded up one spot from three to two to get a quarterback that, I'm sorry. I don't think anybody else was in on at that p- particular spot. And I think he traded a first round draft pick. It wasn't just, it wasn't just John Fox who did that, but he certainly signed off on it. And uh, here we are. So not only did John Fox keep the Broncos from winning two Super Bowls, because I still blame him for that loss to the Ravens. Absolutely. And I blame him for the Super Bowl unpreparedness. Sure. Because who would have thought that the 12s would travel to New York and create crowd noise? Who could have ever prepared for that or thought of that? Definitely not John Fox, who never found a punt he didn't like. But you trade up one spot to take Mitch Trubisky when you could have taken Patrick Mahomes. So he kept the Broncos from winning two Super Bowls and helped the Chiefs win another. We, Thanks, John Fox. Yeah, we really don't like John Fox. Let's, I think it's pretty safe to say he's not not our favorite person ever. So, all right. Well, and as you said, it's not totally John Fox's fault because the general manager who made that decision is still in play in Chicago. <laughs> still making moves. Still making moves. Ryan Pace, in case you're curious, Ryan Pace is his name. And poor Matt Nagy's been saddled with that guy, too. Uh, not that Matt Nagy's all that great because, I mean, he's just going to be himself. It says it on his little card. Be you. Who else are you going to be? I don't understand that. But all right. I, I digress because it's a. I guess it's a nice note from his son or whatever. I guess we are we are definitely in full off-season mode here, aren't we? Yeah, and trying to do everything we can to not think about what happened a couple of days ago. Oh, it was this awful. Yeah, it was a, it was a terrible day. Yeah, or you know, but but we'll survive. All right, so what are we going to talk about then? If it's the off-season, we definitely have to to think about okay, well what's out there? What are some things that that we can get into that that makes sense for Broncos country? That makes sense for uh, for the fans that are are curious about what the future holds here uh, for for the Denver Broncos. So, listeners of the podcast know about the Mile High Report podcast network, where there's Adam and myself. There's something something Broncos with Jess, Lori, and Tim. 
Well, there's a new podcast in the fray, and it's Cover Two Broncos with Jeff Essery and Joel Rolls. And you'll know those names may sound familiar to those who aren't on social media um, and may not check out Mile High Report that often. We've had Jeff on the podcast numerous times. Just recently. We've had Joe on the podcast a couple of times. And on their podcast, they had something that they talked about. And it was 50 bold predictions for the 2020 NFL season. And 50 is a lot. We're not going to get into all of them. I can't even count that high. What we're going to do is we're going to pick out a couple of the ones that Joe had in his article on milehighreport.com and say whether we agree with them or not. And I think the first one is something that I think is definitely going to happen if you follow Broncos Europe on Twitter. He, Michael, who is one of the proprietors for Broncos Europe, has been saying for a couple of weeks that the Broncos were going to play the Atlanta Falcons in London either October 4th or October 11th. And with the news that the Jacksonville Jaguars are going to play two back-to-back games in London at Wembley Stadium – that probably rules out the Broncos and the Falcons playing at Wembley Stadium. So it's probably going to be Tottenham Stadium where the Tottenham Hotspurs play in the English Premier League. So the first bold prediction from <clears throat> from Joe is that the Broncos will play an away game against the Falcons in London. And that would be cool because it will allow me to uh, plan another trip around sports, which my wife absolutely loves. But it'll at least allow us to go to London for a week and watch the Broncos. Better, better get your passport ready, right? Because if you're going to be crossing the border, you need a passport. But yeah, that's cool. Um, I know that the, the thing I like about that, uh, and and most fans already know this, but Pat Bolin was a big proponent of uh, taking the game international. Uh, they, you know, the famous game in Tokyo where Terrell Davis uh, made that hit, and that's that was what propelled him into. Uh, becoming Terrell Davis, so to speak, uh, they, you know, he always uh, had an eye towards uh, possibly getting a team in Canada uh, and wanting to uh, grow the game internationally. And so, the Broncos playing in London, I think, is a is a fitting sort of, I don't want to call it a tribute, but it's just fitting that the Broncos would play in Europe, and, and London is a good spot to go. And and also, I like the fact that it's a an away game for the Broncos, so they're not losing one of their home games. It's a uh, it's a home game for the Falcons, if as it were, and so they can lose one of their home games. The Broncos don't have to lose one of theirs, and I, I like that. I like the way that works out. Travel-wise, I'm not a fan uh, for the team. I, I, I think traveling to London is always uh, a bear, traveling to Mexico City or traveling to Tokyo or wherever it may be that they're going to play uh, You know, when they play internationally. That can always be a bit of an issue and can cause problems, but both teams have to travel, so I guess it's six and one, half dozen of the other. Uh, that being said, I like the idea of of the Broncos sort of continuing the tradition of international football uh, by going to London because that's something that Pat Bolin was big on. And hopefully this game will turn out better than the last time the Broncos played in London, which was in 2010, and we had the Broncos version of Spygate against the San Francisco 49ers. So, yeah, hopefully – well, it, 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 Josh McDaniels won't be there, so you won't have Mick, Mick Hoodie Jr. there to screw everything up because he was terrible. Uh, don't even get me started on that. You, you you forced me to have to talk about him, which I don't appreciate, but uh, he was the reason for all that, and he can 
you know, he, he can find himself in a dark hole somewhere that explodes as far as I'm concerned. Well, at least, so it's looking up in that regard, 10 years after the Broncos last played in London. You get a little redemption tour on that. I like that. Uh, I, I'm going to skip down a little ways. Uh, he's got something here about Justin Simmons being a Bronco. I think there's no doubt about that. But the the one that sort of stands out here in the top 10 to me is one that you mentioned that I didn't see the first time I looked through it because I clearly was reading too quickly. Prince Amukamura will be a member of the 2020 Broncos. That's an interesting take. Uh, the, the Broncos definitely are looking at shoring up the secondary, uh, and there could be some some big holes to fill. Uh, Chris Harris Jr., for example, is probably not going to be back with the Broncos. I think that's uh, a fairly consensus thought. Uh, and so Prince Amukamura, Mukamara, Mukamara, I don't know. He'd be, he'd be fine. I mean, I'm okay with that. I think you mentioned he's got a connection to uh, Vic Fangio. He does. And when he played in that defense, he was really, really good. So it, you bring over a Mukamura and pair him with a hopefully a healthy Bryce Callahan. You're starting to get, when you add Justin Simmons and Kareem Jackson, and then as we mentioned on the last podcast after the, the Super Bowl, Benjamin Albright said a cornerback that the Broncos and Broncos country should keep an eye on will want to keep an eye on is Byron Jones. With the cap space the Broncos have, they could potentially get both. Yeah, They could potentially get both Prince of Mucamora and Byron Jones. And you add him to Bryce Callahan and Kareem Jackson and Justin Simmons, and you're, you have yourself one heck of a secondary. A good secondary makes everything better up front as far as the defensive line goes. And so I think that that's something that uh, is is important to pay attention to. I, I love it. I love the idea of, uh, I don't want to say, you know, putting together another no-fly zone because there will never be another no-fly zone. I think it's, it's time to move on from that. But putting together a, a group that can have an impact on the game in a way that causes offensive coordinators and quarterbacks to – have to analyze even deeper what's going on in the secondary forces them to wait a second longer so that the defensive line can get home so that Von Miller can get home so that Bradley Chubb can get home when you have guys that can uh, that can shore up the, the secondary and make it difficult to throw the ball then you have guys that are going to make it easier on your pass rushers to get home and, and harass and sack the quarterback. And, and that, to me, is, is why you do this. You go get good cornerbacks and create a good secondary so that the guys up front have time to disrupt and have an impact on the quarterback and what's going on up front. I'm going to add in someone for Broncos fans to keep an eye on who has a, who has a tie to Vic Fangio and Ed Donatel. And it could be another Bears cap casualty. And I've mentioned this on a previous podcast. And that's Akeem Hicks. With the Bears being in the salary cap hell that they're in, not just Prince of Mucamora could be released. And the fact that the, the Bears signed a CFL cornerback, which is why um, Mucamora could be on the chopping block, so to speak, is the same reason Akeem Hicks could be on the chopping block. And that is someone who would be incredible in this defense with the interior pass rush that he's able to create and the familiarity that he has with Vic Fangio would be awesome. And I'm going to throw out another one and that's Chris Jones, because until he's either tagged or signed by the chiefs to me, 
that is the number one target in free agency for the Broncos because he didn't have a sack. He didn't have a tackle in that Super Bowl. Yet he potentially could have been the MVP with the passes that he knocked down and the plays and the difference that he made for that defense. I want that in Denver also because he knows the Chiefs. Yeah, I, I think that's that's it's always nice to bring in a to bring in a rival, to bring in somebody who uh, knows the team that you're going to play twice a year. And I, you know, as I look at the uh, the AFC West and and the way that things are sort of shaking out, it really is the Chiefs, and then the the second tier consists of the Broncos and the Chargers. Although who knows what's going to happen with them at quarterback, and then the Raiders, who nobody likes them anyway because they're the Raiders, and and the. Broncos are the team to me that have the opportunity to really challenge for maybe not the AFC West title yet, but certainly a playoff spot, certainly uh, a wild card spot, and and perhaps make a, a run. We'll talk about that here in a minute. And bringing in a guy that played for the Chiefs, that had that kind of an impact with the Chiefs, really is just a, a way of, of sort of trying to get on the inside of what the other team is doing because they're going to have some knowledge that they can – share with you. So I, that's definitely one that I'm, I'm, I'm all in on that one as well. I think that would be a great move. And that ties into what I thought is probably the most disgusting bold prediction that Joe makes in his list of 50. He has it under the subhead of daring. It's his 31st. And as you mentioned earlier, we both think that Chris Harris Jr. is not going to return to the Broncos. Well, Joe has Strap Harris signing with the Chiefs. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I mean, I guess I wouldn't mind it if the Broncos were able to draft uh, a, a wide, a speedy wide receiver that could take the the top off the defense because he can't he can't keep up, right? Like, like Tyreek Hill, like a Tyreek Hill that doesn't beat his children. That's what I would like. Uh, so, so Henry Ruggs. Yeah, Henry Ruggs. I would be fine with that. Although, if you if if you're looking through this, um, Joe doesn't think Henry Ruggs will be there at 15 because he thinks he goes in the top 14. I, I don't know because I'm, he runs like a four one forty or something. Yeah, like he that. he he's faster than Usain Bolt if you hear the legend of it all. So that's that's always you know you got to kind of you got to take a little bit of that with a grain of salt. But that is a really interesting uh, a really interesting thought that Chris Harris would choose to sign with the chiefs. Um, it, it makes sense to want to play for a contender and the chiefs are actually a contender because they did win a super bowl. So I, I imagine that if I was looking for a team and uh, I was a guy like Chris Harris, who knew I was on sort of the back nine, if you will, that would be a, a place I would consider knowing that they need a little defensive help. And that also that could get me back into the playoffs and uh, with the possibility of a deep playoff run. So it certainly makes sense for him to do that. And my hope is that he doesn't think that and won't do it. And he also played at the University of Kansas. And if you followed Twitter after the game on Sunday, Kansas City is in Kansas. So there's a connection there. It, yeah, it does. Kansas City is in Kansas, sort of. There is a, there is a Kansas City, Kansas. There is. But it's but not in Missouri it, where the Chiefs play, right? It's not. It's not in yeah, Missouri where the Chiefs play. Arrowhead and Kauffman Stadium are in Missouri. Yes, they are. Or or Missouri. Missouri, as the natives yeah, call it. Misery, if you've ever been there. Uh, so you know, there's also that. 
You know, an interesting one you skipped over, and, and I think that I think we probably are in agreement with this, and I just I'm gonna throw it out there. Uh John Elway picks up Garrett Bowles' fifth year option. I, I actually think he does too. We talked a lot about um Garrett Bowles seeing the last of his playing days in Denver. I, I don't think that that's the case anymore. The more that it, the more that you look at it and the more that you hear about it, the less likely it is that the Broncos move on from Garrett Bowles. They're going to pick up his fifth-year option because it'll be cheap and because, if anything, they can turn him into a swing tackle uh, or perhaps uh, a nose tackle. <laughs> it seems to me that that's – I know I, I mentioned that on Twitter once and people disagreed, but – I don't know that I was being that serious, but you, you you keep him on the team and maybe he continues to develop. And if not, you move on after that fifth year and then it's fine. But you get him for one more year uh, at a pretty low rate. I guess that's fine. Whatever. The other thing that Joe mentions in his bold predictions is that Elway passes on a left tackle at number 15, leading to outrage on hot take radio. Now, the one thing that I will differ with is it depends on if anyone falls. So if Iowa's Tristan Wirfs were to fall, and there is some talk that he might, I would absolutely take Wirfs, and I think Elway would as well. But it also depends on who is there. If Because at this point, I, I, I think it's, it's, out, it's out there enough, and it's been said enough, and Elway has said it enough. They want speed, and they want speed at receiver. So if there is one of those top four receivers who was there, so that's Jerry Judy or Henry Ruggs from Alabama. It's C.D. Lamb from Oklahoma. It's I believe his name is Rieger from TCU. If one of those four guys is there, they will take him in a heartbeat. And you can't go wrong with any of them because they're both – they're all of them are insanely quick and fast. They're great route runners. They blow the top off the defense. And they give you that speed element without the added nonsense of beating your kids. Yeah, which is which is just a liability, really. You really shouldn't have to deal with that. You just shouldn't just don't beat your kids. The the one thing I will say that's interesting is the the contradiction that you start to get here. Um, I don't know if it's a contradiction, but there there is this notion that I guess contradiction is the wrong word. There is this notion that uh, the Broncos need offensive line help, and most of the predictions that Joe makes in here regarding the offensive line is that they don't really make any changes or any splashy moves on the offensive line, either in free agency or the draft. Uh, I'm not sure if the Broncos believe that they need to make any big moves on the offensive line. And and that's an interesting one. I think Ronald Leary is gone. I don't think that's an issue, right? I think that's something that's sort of settled, but beyond that, they're going to, for the most part, roll with what they have. And if that means that that Garrett Bowles is your starting left tackle for the 2020 season, then that's what that means. And they are going to put their faith in Mike Munchak, and they are going to believe in Drew Locke, and they are going to um, you know use their weapons that they have, whether it be Philip Lindsay or or Cortland Sutton or whatever they bring in in the offseason. If it's a speed receiver in the draft, or if they you know they sign somebody, I think I saw the other day that uh, Amari Cooper is somebody who might be out there and available. I don't know if that's the case. I, I'm not saying that for certain, but that would be an interesting uh, name to to watch as well. Then maybe offensive line sort of takes a back burner, and the outrage over it is fine. Go ahead and let people you know rage a little bit on that. But what I think has been proven over the course of, I don't know, let's call it 100 years, is that if you have a quarterback that knows what he's doing, 
then they make their offensive line look a lot better. And you need look no further than what Peyton Manning did with the offensive line in Denver. Made them look serviceable when they really probably were not because he was good enough to do that. And I'm not saying that Drew Locke is, is Peyton Manning, but he is working with Peyton Manning. And he does have the, uh, the ability to move around and, and extend plays, which is something that guys like Joe Flacco didn't have. So I'm not all that concerned about offensive line. And I think that maybe I'm wrong on that and I should be, but I'm not. Yes, you absolutely are. And so is everyone else who says the offensive line isn't a concern or an area to address because I constantly hear that and think about it. Yes. One of the greatest quarterbacks ever, John Elway led a team to three Super Bowls in four years, three teams that had no business going to a Super Bowl but he didn't win a Super Bowl until he got an offensive line. He had one of the best left tackles in the history of football holding down his blind side. John Elway, as we've said on this podcast numerous times, knows better than anyone you need an offensive line to win the Super Bowl. So, yes, it needs to be addressed. You need to do what it takes to keep Drew Locke upright, give him time, not allow him to get hit, and allow him to make plays. So I absolutely think offensive line needs to be a priority. Does it mean that it's left tackle? No. I don't think there are tackles out there worthy of going after. They do need guards. They need a right guard. And Jeff Essery and the the free agent profiles wrote a, a great one on one of the best available, and that's going to be Joe Thune. And as we talked about on that podcast with Jeff, Joe Thune is one of the best guards in football. One of the best. And one thing that you know about Joe Thune is the fact that since he was with the New England Patriots, he was coached by someone who is on par with Mike Munchak. And that's the the Patriots offensive line coach who is retiring, and that's... Um, Skarnicki. Dante Skarnecchia, or however you say it. I think he just call it, says Skarnecki. So you know he's going to be coached right. And he's going to have the basics. There's your offensive lineman that you target. You put him at right guard. And then whether or not you keep Connor McGovern or not, which has been thrown out that the Broncos aren't all that interested in keeping him, then potentially you move up at the end of the first round or you take one if someone's fallen as a rookie center or you potentially sign one. But you go out and you get one of the best guards in football. And Joe Thune is absolutely one of the best guards in football. So after Chris Jones, Joe Thune is on the offensive side, my Chris Jones. I can see that. Yeah, no, I, and here's the thing. I'm not I, I'm not disagreeing with anything that you said because all of those are very valid points. It's just sort of a, a strange spot. I think I think a lot of fans that uh, are not as – there just seems to be sort of – I don't know how to, how to word it, but there just seems to be this sort of malaise about the offensive line. Like it's not something that uh, is, is super necessary. I'm, I'm not going to say that I – fully agree with what you said, but I certainly don't disagree with what you said because I, it all makes perfect sense. And if the Broncos were to go and get 
Thune or to make moves and get splashy on the offensive line, which I know seems uh, a little bit um, like an oxymoron. But if they were, were to do that, I wouldn't be upset about it. That wouldn't bother me. But it, I'm also at a point where I don't know that it would bother me if they went uh, in a, in a, a less offensive liney direction with what they do moving forward. I guess we'll we'll obviously see what happens, but yeah, I'd, I'd take Thune and and I'd take Thune and Jones. That would be a good off season, right? That would be that would be fantastic. That would be fantastic. And then throw in Amukamura and Byron Jones, sure. Because as it stands now, the Broncos are projected to have fifty eight million in cap space. They'll make moves that can get them north of eighty and close to ninety. So they're gonna have the cap space, Spend and with the C- and with the CBA coming to an end. And you're not knowing potentially if there's going to be a work stoppage or what the collective bargaining agreement is going to, to look like and then what the salary cap is going to look like. Right. No, we don't know about the rollover or anything. There's a, there's a lot there. There's several variables. So take advantage of that flexibility now and get your guys in place. Because if you look at 2021, they, they're right now north of $100 million in cap space. So take advantage of that. Sign Thune, sign Jones. If you, if Akeem Hicks becomes available, sign him, sign Amukamura, sign Byron Jones. Lock up all these pieces. Sign Amari Cooper. I think that would be a great addition. Yeah. And then you get your speedster. Yeah. I, or I mean, two. Yeah. Benjamin Albright said that he wouldn't be surprised if the Broncos take two speed-wide receivers in the first three rounds. But what you do is now that you have your quarterback and you have this cap space – you have the flexibility now to, as Jeff said, top shelf buy instead of going for the the bargain bottom of the barrel, bottom of the shelf guys. So go all out. And I think that's what allows them to do this is yeah. the, that they have the quarterback. Absolutely. I'm, I'm with you on that. Uh, the rest of the predictions that I see here are kind of – Almost frivolous, but there's a few that I like on here, and uh, you know I definitely I, I like what they did with this with this list. It's kind of fun. Um, the one that that stands out to me is the the Noah Fant prediction that he'll make the Pro Bowl. I actually am, am full throated behind that. Yeah, absolutely, he will. He was, uh, I think, the best rookie tight end in the NFL last year, and was was left off of of some lists that he should have been on it took him a little while to to get his stride and to sort of take ownership of the tight end position but once Noah Fant caught on to the NFL he looked like a stud out there he was not just a guy he has the skill set to be a very 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 good tight end in the NFL and and I'm 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 on board with the Noah Fant going to the Pro Bowl. I think he makes the Pro Bowl outright. I don't think he's an alternate. I think he's your Pro Bowl tight end heading into, and that's that's with a Travis Kelsey. That's with you know what I'm saying. Like there are guys that are that are in the NFL that are veteran tight ends. I think he's going to play just as well as some of those guys for the Denver Broncos. And the one that I really liked, and I am in total agreement with, is that Drew Locke gets MVP votes. I, I think he's absolutely going to not surprise Broncos country. I think he's going to surprise the collective the league NFL media. He is going to surprise people. 
I think people are going to be surprised at how good he is and how fun he is, which is going to be surprising because they can't stop slurping Patrick Mahomes. But I think Drew Locke is going to force them to maybe think twice about giving all their attention to Patrick Mahomes. I'm not saying he's going to be the MVP and he's going to come out and throw for 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns. I'm not saying that, but I do think when you look at the way that he is going to attack this offseason and that he's talking to Peyton Manning and he's going to have these, these camps and training sessions with his receivers. And when you throw in his two coaches now and Pat Shermer and Mike Shula, I think he is going to have a very, very good 2020 season. Can I make a, a, a bold prediction about Drew Locke? And this is more of a career prediction than a 2020 prediction. I, I'm going to predict that Drew Locke has a good enough career that at some point he also has a fake story about going to a restaurant and telling everybody, thanks for leaving us alone. That is a recycled story about Troy Polamalu told about him on Twitter by the time he's done with his career. Then let's say he did it at Elway's. There's no other place to do it. You've been listening to Mile High Report Radio. Get involved in the discussion at milehighreport.com. And as always, go Broncos. Broncos.